In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. We're running a race here that God says to run it. He doesn't say it's optional. It's something that we are to do. We are put on this earth for a purpose. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is for you to become your best by calling you in to the arena of manhood, calling you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and calling you up to your absolute best version of you. Because when you get it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Guys, thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with the producer of the podcast and the co-host, my friend, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing awesome. Hey, I'm doing awesome, too. I'm really excited. We have a friend of mine, a mentor of mine in the studio today. This guy took a small struggling company on the verge of bankruptcy and turned it into a powerhouse in the medical insurance industry. He's 85 years old, and he's still serving on several international boards, coordinates a prayer ministry for one of the greatest evangelists of our time, and continues to mentor young leaders such as myself. This guy is the master of finishing strong. So I'm super excited to have him on our show today. But before we get on there, do you have a man word? I do. I'm going to guess it. Had, okay, go ahead. <laughs> Come on, think, you, you're so, you're you so obvious. I think today you're not. Finishing. I, I missed it? Yeah, you did. Oh, uh, okay, go ahead. I was, I, was thinking, go ahead. I was thinking longevity. Oh, are you sure that's one word? It is. <laughs> no hyphens. I was going to use another kidding. word, but Let's I, clap that out. I tried to Let's put a hyphen in it, and it didn't work either, so I went with uh, Awesome. Longevity. Talk to me about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, see, our buddy here is, is 85, and uh, he has uh, done a lot of things, and he's still doing it. Didn't you just say you you're just took another class in college, signed up for one? No, I'm teaching one. Teaching one. This guy is just getting it. So uh, yeah. you, you, you begin in life... And in order to have longevity in life, you have to put some things in place and have some habits and, and things like that going on so that you can make it to the end and keep going strong. It's There definitely has not been a, all right, I'm done. I'm checking out. So uh, that's inspiring to me. Yeah, we live in a society that tells our older guys to coast. Yeah. And this guy actually put the throttle down and did some things that most of us... I was uh, thinking about think that about. today, about yeah. retirement. And so I was talking to a friend earlier, and they were talking about their retirement plan, and probably in five, ten years they will, and they're pretty young. And I'm going, man, Jim Ramos and I will be working to the day that we die. Um, yeah. In some way, shape, or form, trying to help men. Yeah, there's no retirement plan here. So, <laughs> hey, so hey, do you have a review, a shout-out? I do. A review for hey, iTunes? the Northwest Hunter just uh, sent us a review. Um and basically, his title says, jump in, get stoked, and surround yourself with godly men. He had a great review. And so, hey, Northwest Hunter, I'm guessing you're here in the Northwest somewhere. So hit me up. I was thinking New Mexico or <laughs> <Yeah>. something. <laughs> Shoot me an email, and we will send you some swag. We really appreciate uh, your uh, review there. So hey, guys, you. also also let you know, if, if uh, you hear us stumbling around saying Man Card Podcast, we have changed the name of this show to men in the arena, so it may take a little bit of a getting used to, but just want to let you know that. And if you're interested in doing the 45-mile death ruck over two days with us, go to Oregon Death Ruck on Facebook and get engaged in that, and uh, make sure you get those dates in your calendar. It's June 22 and 23, all right? Hey, uh, super excited about our guest today, Blood, Bud Lindstrand. Bud is a friend of mine and mentor. He's 85 years old. Uh, he was married to his wife, Roxanne, for 47 years, and she passed away. Uh, now he's been married to Gail for 17 year years. Bud, as the former CEO of Moda Health Plans, now Moda Health, 
a major provider of health insurance in Oregon. When he began with Moda Health, it was a small company with 23 employees and $4 million in revenue and on the verge of bankruptcy. When he retired at 64 years old, Moda Health had over 400 employees and revenue in excesses of $500 million. And now they have the arena where the Portland Trailblazers play. Uh, he currently serves on the board of University of Northwestern St. Paul and is involved in the Palau Foundation. He and his wife, Gail, currently serve as volunteer national prayer coordinators with the Luis Palau Evangelic Evangelistic Association in Portland, Oregon. Man, I'm really excited to have this guy on, my friend Bud Lindstrom. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Jim. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, you had a get, rolled up. He, what is that? A Mercedes you're driving? <laughs> yeah, it is. So he's six four, and he gets out of this car. He's like a giant getting out of this thing. So still flying around town. <laughs> you bet. And what an amazing radio voice you have. Oh well, it's what God gave me. So <laughs> he has a radio face. You have a radio voice. So. <laughs> Hey, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to get the juices flowing, bud, a little bit and loosen you up, and, and I'm going to throw you into a, what we call our rapid fire round. And that round, today I've chosen a stoic round for you because you have wisdom with 85 years of age. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions and, and just let you share what's on your heart, which is the first question, what's on your heart right now? What's on my heart is how you get to 85 uh, and still excited about life. Mm. I think that... Uh, I look back over the last 20 years, and uh, they've been probably the best years of my life, and I think the best years are still ahead. Uh, I'm just excited about what God can do if you just uh, make yourself available. I'm going to come back and ask that question later. That's a, that's a, you said that staying excited for life. I want to come back and revisit that later on the podcast if that's all right. Yes. That's, that's exciting. So, hey, do you have a, I know you're a voracious reader. I don't know how many, how many books do you read a year? Like, well, my sips for the year is to read 12. I'll probably read more than that. Uh, but I try to read at least once, one a month. I usually have two or three going at the same time. Yeah, I know. We were talking, and it's like yeah. confusing how many books you have going. What's? Do you have a favorite book of all time? Oh, boy. I suppose uh, anything of C.S. Lewis. Mere, Mere Christianity obviously has uh, impacted anybody's life uh, that reads it because of its simplicity. But also, one of my favorites in the last few years has been Bonhoeffer. Uh, I just was amazed at the uh, fortitude of that man to uh, literally give his life uh, to try to save his country from Nazism. Just yeah, a great book. I was just I'm I'm doing a writing a book called A Man's Man. It's a curriculum book for men, and we're talking about uh, defending the weak and powerless and when to use force. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that a guy like Bonhoeffer, who wrote uh, The Cost of Discipleship actually was killed for plotting to assassinate Hitler. He was. <laughs> I think you told me that. Yeah, he was. That's an amazing story. If you haven't read that book, you, you need to read that book. Uh, Eric Metastics, who writes that book, uh, has written several other really good books, one on the Holy Spirit and one on what he calls Seven Influential Men. I, I'm not sure that's the exact title. Oh. But he has picked out people, including Bonhoeffer, uh, to write just a short bit about each of these really strong, influential people. Well, you know, in Mere Christianity, the, the thing about that book that really stood out in my mind, well, he did The Liar, Lunatic, or Lord in yeah. Mere Christianity, <laughs> but the thing he also did, and I think it was in that book, it was the first author I've ever read that described why there's no such thing as atheism. Yeah. Because the very concept that people have of God, when I say I don't believe in God, that is actually a statement of belief. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly because right. Because if I didn't believe in God, I wouldn't make a statement about this thing I didn't believe in. I would have no knowledge of God. Well, it starts from the premise there is a God, and I have to prove he isn't there. Yes, you yes. Know, it, it, really exactly interesting. Right. Really, That's really intriguing. I, really, I love it. So, hey, do you have a, a greatest hero? Oh, boy. Well, I guess it would be the Apostle Paul, and, and oh. I'll come back to explain to you why that's the case. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have a feeling I know where you're going to go with that. So, hey, what would you, so you're 85. If you could travel back in time 50 years and talk to your 35-year-old self, so you're in the middle of the stress bubble, you're raising your family, you're, you've, uh, I think at this point you've got Moda, and you're going, what, what, would you give, what advice would you give yourself? Oh, the advice I did then. Uh, I come from a family with longevity. Uh -huh. um, on my mother's side, uh, everyone got to almost 100, my grandmother 101. And I concluded right about that age that if I was going to live that long, then there's some things I could do to uh, live a good life that long. 
And that included a, a serious uh, exercise regimen where I was in the gym virtually every weekday morning early working out and reading. A lot of my workouts in the gym were on an exercise bike where I read about a book a week uh, just sitting on that bike. Uh, realizing that you can come to 85 and be vibrant, or you can come to 85 and be a doddering old coot. And I really didn't want to be the latter. And there's enough of them go around, right? <laughs> yes, surely are. It, it seems like, do you find that at 85 that guys your age that are living a vibrant, dynamic life uh, are a rarity or almost extinct? I mean, talk to me about that. Uh, when you ask that question, I'm trying to think of anybody I know and I don't know who that would be. Yeah, I just think it is people, and you can't just start to live that kind of life at 85. It's something you have to build up to, which goes back to the question you asked me, and that is I started down this, tri this track uh, at least 40 years ago, if not more. I heard a guy once say, if, if you wait till 60, or maybe it was you that told me this, if you wait till 60 to get your life right, you've burned your life, it's over. It's too late. Well, it's never too late, I suppose, but it's certainly harder. Yeah. It's harder to train, and I call reading and exercise train training. Yeah. Uh, and I also believe that, uh, as we all know, if you don't use your body, it atrophies. You can't do things anymore. I believe the same is true of the brain. I have no scientific proof of that, but it just seems logical to me. If you don't use your mind, it's probably going to atrophy to something. There actually is science behind that now, I where they're saying that if you don't use your brain, it will diminish. It's like everything else in life. So they're, they're finding a lot of scientific uh, research and proof there. So Yeah, I would believe that. Yeah, that's really good, man. So, so okay, so now you're 85. Go back 20 years. You've just retired. What advice would you give yourself then? <laughs> Find something to do. <laughs> actually, actually I'd, I'd rather push it back a couple years before that. Okay. to where you know you're going to be leaving your lifetime work, what's your plan? And most of the people I talk to, and I talk to a lot of people in that situation, they will say they plan to travel and play a lot of golf. And my instant response to that is, what do you plan to do the second month? Because I think that's good for about a month. Uh, and I see that all around me. You just You might think that playing golf every day is great, until you try to play golf every day. I know one guy, my neighbor, who plays golf every day, and I admire him for that. But that's really not going to work very well. You better have a plan. And so I tried to devise a plan, although I left uh, a little bit early than earlier than I had planned. Uh, I had a terminally ill wife at home. I needed to go home and care for her. So there wasn't a lot of planning on my part, except just to do what I needed to do. Okay, that, that was my next question, because 64 years old, Knowing you and knowing your story and knowing where Moda was at the time, 64 seems young to retire, but you had to care for a, a sick wife who ended up passing away. That's right. So, oh, I, I understand. I, that's That makes a lot more sense now. So tell us a little bit more about yourself, bud. I mean, I gave you the brief bio, but our listeners are going, oh, wait, who's this guy? Uh, what's he about? What makes him tick? Why don't you give about five minutes and tell your story? Well, I'm, I'm amused about thinking about that this morning because uh, I was born way up in northern Minnesota, and it's about 60 below zero windshield yeah. out there this morning, <laughs> and I can't even imagine what that's like. I do know that on the morning I was born in a small little town with no hospital, the town is Ada, if anybody uh, knows that area at all, uh, it was 42 below zero. And uh, the physician had to, uh, his car wouldn't start, he had to walk over to my parents' home to deliver my mother of this, uh, of this boy that she'd been waiting for most of her adult life. So it started out there. Uh, my father was a, uh, an all-sports coach in the high school there. Uh, he later moved out of that and came out west, which landed us down in Salem, Oregon, where I actually spent my teenage years. You went to the same high school as Dale. I went to North High. No, I went to McKay and McNary. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I thought no, you went no. to North. And my grandma's name is Ada, and she came out from there. <laughs> well, McNary and, and, and those schools weren't there. North Salem yeah. was Salem High School, and that was my uh, high school in the day. Uh, not knowing what, uh, and I was 16 years old, I had no clue. So my mother, who had uh, connections with the University of Northwestern St. Paul, it was then called Northwestern Schools, uh, she just sent me there. And I had no qualms not to go, had no other plan in mind, so I went. 
And it was there in the first week of school uh, during a spiritual emphasis week for incoming freshmen that I transferred the faith of my church and my parents to my personal faith. Mm. And I remember vividly where and when that happened. I can see it in my mind's eye. There was a speaker there, and we got some world-renowned speakers in there because at that time, Billy Graham was the president of that school. Mm. So oh, he really? commanded, yeah, he commanded a lot of attention. And this one particular speaker was talking about doubt and helping us to understand that doubt is okay. It's what you do with the doubts that's important. And I remember he said, if you have any doubt about your personal salvation, drive a stake in the ground right now so that you'll always be able to come back to that when you have any doubts. Fortunately, I've had no doubts, but I remember that stake as though it was done yesterday. So from there, I, uh, I finished college, went on to uh, Western Seminary for a year, just wanted more Bible. I'm now 20 years old, and I'm married and have a little baby on the way. I have no clue about life <laughs> or where anything is going. Uh, so after a year there, I, I went down to the University of Oregon because I, wanted, I thought I wanted to be a college professor. Really odd. Uh, and uh, I really didn't do very well down in graduate school because in history, they wanted dates and times and places, and I was more interested in why things happened and what caused them uh, to take place the way they did. My goal was to go down to Lebanon to teach in the American University there because I believed, and it's still somewhat true, that the future leaders of that whole part of the world all went through that university. And I thought, man, what a place to touch some lives. Mm. Uh, but that did not work, and when the second child came, I remember my wife said to me, uh, you probably ought to think about getting a real job because we were, we were eking it out on part-time work <laughs> while, I, while I went to school. So I stumbled into the health insurance industry where I then spent my uh, entire life. I look back now and see that my life all the way along was stumbling. Hmm. Uh, I realize now that God's hand was on my shoulder pushing me. I wasn't stumbling at all, but I never knew quite what I was supposed to do or where. But clearly God opened doors. He shut doors. He just He just took me where he wanted me to go. Mm. And because I was willing and excited about where he would take me, he took me there. Uh, when I finally got uh, squared around with a, with a job, I had been taught, by the way, that um, that where you serve God was in the church. And I firmly believe you serve God in the church. But we were taught that was the only place really you serve God. You went downtown to work to make money to support the church and your family. but And that doesn't mean you didn't live a holy life or seek to, mm -hmm. but that wasn't seen as a ministry the way I clearly see it today. I had more opportunities ministry there than most pastors do because I was among non-believers every day, every day. Yeah. And they don't see a whole lot of non-believers, at least not face-to-face. And uh, then about age 40, I broke out of that and realized that God had given me gifts and talents and a ministry away from the church. So I, d I determined to, to cut back, and I did one thing at the church, not 30 things like I probably had been doing before. And then I took those same gifts and talents, and that's why I was on so many boards and things like that, was to be able to make myself uh, available and out mm -hmm. in the real world where I could hopefully touch lives. Uh, I just want to quickly add, though, don't stop serving God in the church. <laughs> the church is the only answer to what's going on in our world today, and we all need to stand behind the church and be involved in service there. Well, I love that paradigm shift because we tell our men in the arena, you know, there are, are you a man in the arena or are you a fan in the arena? Yeah. Right? And to be a man in the arena, the arena isn't the church. The arena is life. And engaging, and, and so if a guy is called to coach his kid's football team in the name of Jesus, by all means, that's what we're asking guys to do. Our community should be filled with Christian men serving God in their communities. Well, and they have to understand that that's biblical. Yes. That's not just because we think that's the case. There's a wonderful book out there. You asked me about books earlier, written by Tim Keller, who's become a well-known author now, a longtime pastor of a church in Manhattan. It's called Every Good Endeavor. And I highly urge every individual, every man out there to read that book because it clearly shows the biblical aspect of how we have uh, been gifted by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to minister wherever we are. Yeah. 
and that we're called or assigned different roles in life. I, I just pulled the book out. I told you I, I bought it, so I'm just book. proving it to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have, I have put this book in front of some very noted theologians whom I know who say it's very theologically correct, and yet it's well-written. It's easy to read for anyone. Yeah, Keller's style, he wrote a book called um, The Prodigal yeah. God, yeah, and yeah. what a well, very yeah, well, easy a, flowing, but profound, yes, you know. It was. And so, I'm excited to get in that book. I appreciate you letting me uh, re- recommending that to me. So, it's a great book. You went back to school, so you're you've you graduated, you, you retired <laughs> at 64. You left a company with a 500 million dollar net worth. You, I mean, you you could you essentially have a PhD in experiential knowledge of leadership in business. Yet at 81 years old, you went back to school to got your M- and got your MBA. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. Um, by the way, if you ask that of my wife, she would tell you is because he, I thought I could get a job if I'd get the <laughs> MBA. <laughs> uh, what had happened was, I, as I told you, I'm, a, I'm a, an alum of the Harvard Business School which made everyone think I had an MBA from Harvard. And I didn't like always having to correct that. No, I do not have an MBA. Second, I just sort of always wanted one. Yeah, You know, there's some things you just sort of want. Um, quite why, I, looking back, I'm not sure. But what happened was an online program became available at my university where I also serve as a trustee. Um, and so I thought, hey, I'll th- I think I'll give this a shot. And the further I got into it, the more exciting it became to me because I was learning a lot of things, particularly in the financial area where I had always relied on somebody to do all that financial stuff and hand it to me. Mm-hmm. Now I was able to see, man, a lot of work, a lot of stuff went into what those guys did there to enable me to do that. So it was just kind of fun. Uh, when I finished, my wife put on a big celebration, invited half the people I knew. And uh, we celebrated. And so you're 85 years old, and you are now a, is it an adjunct college professor? Yes. For two universities, am I right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, about midway through the program, uh, I was asked if, because they saw how much my experience was working in the, <laughs> in the class sessions, asked if I'd consider teaching. And I said, gee, I never thought about that, but that would really be kind of fun. And so uh, after graduation, I, uh, I started doing some adjunct teaching at Northwestern and now at uh, George Fox University uh, right here in good old Newburgh, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And I tell you, Jim, I probably am enjoying that more than anything I've ever done in my life. And it's it's odd because when I go back to those first days almost of my conversion, I ran headlong into a bunch of guys that were with the Navigators. And that is a terrific organization as you know. Mm-hmm. And those guys turned me on to Bible study, uh, but they also turned me on to a verse that would, I don't know whether it was their key verse, became mine rather quickly. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, where Timothy tells Tim, uh, Paul tells Timothy, the things you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. So now I realize that through these courses that I teach, I'm able to do, to, to fulfill, in mm-hmm. effect, that verse, to be able to teach others from what I know, who can then to teach others, hopefully, along the way. So it's pretty exciting to see how that goes all the way back, you know, 66 or seven years. Yeah, well, you know, you've said a couple of things I want to pull out of this. You said, uh, you, talk, you think about how a person can stay excited for life. And then you just now said it was exciting. And then you just said when they asked you to teach, you said, "Oh, I thought it would be fun." Now, now let me let me think. I want I want you to think about this. This is a paradigm shift for a lot of guys. Yep. A lot of guys who are sixty plus, fifty five plus. I'm fifty three, so I'm getting there. Would say that at retirement, doing the things you're doing is not fun or exciting, but stressful, hard, uh, uh, invasive difficult. So where's the, is that a mentality? Have you, do you feel like, uh, do you believe that your mentality is actually different because you view these things as exciting and fun versus stressful and hard and invasive? Well, at the risk of any ego, which, which I don't see in this, I think I do have a different mentality. Uh, most of the people that I know in my own relative age group that I've known for a long time just kind of shake their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll laughingly, uh, kiddingly tell me they don't understand or they think I'm nuts. And maybe I am, but if I am, uh, it's, it's a certainly a happy sort of a craziness. 
so yeah, I th- but I think it goes through this lifetime learning process that I've always been on. Because throughout these last 20 years, I've always continued reading and reading serious things. Um, you know, I read novels. I read, I read uh, Louis L'Amour on airplanes uh, because <laughs> love I love him. the picturesque language of his, uh-huh. of his writings. But I just have always been a serious person about my mind and my body. Um, I mean, it's just that simple to me. Well, and I hope I'm not. We can pull this out of the podcast if I'm getting too too intimate here. But you know, you you've lost your wife of 47 years. You watched your one of your favorite grandsons die. Yep. Yet, and life. We've talked about this. We talked about this a month ago. Life seems to harden a man. The propensity of life is to wear a man down. Yet you've continued to be excited about life, to see the fun in life. You're driving when you pulled out. That day we met, I said, "See that guy right there?" There, and she, I go, "Yeah." I go, "That guy." And I told him about you. They go, "Oh, I could." Yeah, he's driving that Mercedes. You know, you still have fun with life. How do you keep that eye of the tiger? How do you keep that vibrant love, that passion for life? What is the secret? What can you pass on to those guys who are going, "Man, I'm wearing down here. I'm 45 years old and I'm wearing down. I'm wearing out." How do I keep this eye of the tiger? How do I keep this? And you don't have a prideful bone in your body. You're very humble, which I really respect. How do you keep that vibrant side of life where you have fun and enjoy your life all the way? At, you're at 85 years old. You might have another 15 years at least to, of living, right? So how, how do you do that? What is your secret? Well, some of it, I think, is an innate element of who I am. Uh, I live in the present. Okay. The only time I think much about the past is when I'm asked questions like you did. Mm-hmm. I don't think much about the future Except occasionally I'll think, you know, I, especially on a birthday, I am 85, and I kind of press the people I work for to give me more work because I don't have that much more time, and I'm well aware of that. But I think it goes all the way back to what we talked about earlier, and that is I made that decision 40-plus years ago that I was going to live my life to the fullest to the end mm-hmm. and that the end might be way, way out there. But I will also tell you that Tim Keller will answer that question in that book, because there is nothing in the Word of God that says you're supposed to stop at some point. As a matter of fact, one of my hot buttons is this whole issue of the Apostle Paul and his analogy of running a race. I was in Turkey several years ago, and I was taught some things about that. And we were standing in in an arena there, and by the way, their tracks there in the old days at least were half-mile tracks. Okay. And I had on hiking boots, and I remember another fellow and I dropped our backpacks, and we literally sprinted around that track. It was almost like my feet weren't even on the ground because I was so excited with the fact that Paul said, you run the race to the finish, and you run the race to win. Mm. I was puzzled for a long time about a uh, comment he made to Timothy in Second Timothy saying he'd finished the race. Mm-hmm because he was still still alive. So I wondered how could he, and then I began to think about his circumstances, and for all practical purposes, he had finished the race. I'm sure Billy Graham in his last days would say, I finished the race, I have no ability anymore mm-hmm. to run. God has used it all up, and I have used it all up. So I'm just compelled with that fact. Uh, and what I was thinking about over in Turkey that day was I, I always loved middle distance racing. I never was a runner in that sense, but I, I was around in the days when the U.S. had some really great middle-distance runners, particularly down at the University of Oregon where Bowerman coached. And I was reminded of the fact that when you run a mile, at the end of three laps, a bell rings signaling the last lap. In the first three laps, everybody sort of runs together in a pack. And in the final lap when the bell rings, they all just kind of coast into the finish line, don't they? Uh-huh. Oh, the I bell think lap, not. no. <laughs> That's where the pace picks up. So I say to myself, if he's really saying it's like a race, then don't you have to run harder and faster in the last lap? Because I realized in Turkey that day that the bell had rung and that I was in the last lap and that I, I better get it juiced up and get going. And, I mean, I scrambled around banging on doors, trying to get jobs, all kinds of things for a number of years after that until, again, I stumbled really into this adjunct teaching which has become the, the most fun thing, most interesting, most exciting thing I can remember doing. So the bell lap, they speed up. They do. So the the so I'm going to push on that analogy because I agree with you 100%. But the pushback would be, well, 
that's fine. They're conditioned athletes. I'm an 80-year-old man. My speeding up means a hamstring pull. <laughs> so how do you speed up with wisdom is what I'm saying. Well, well, of course, I was, I was already, I'd been in training for a long, long time. Yeah. So it wasn't hard for me. But I think for those who are 65 or older and say, I want to get back in the race, yeah. It's like when I go to the gym in January and I see the, what I call two-weakers. <laughs> They're the, well, they're the people, particularly women, with fancy new outfits they got for Christmas yeah. to help them get there and lose weight. I'll see, unfortunately, trainers taking some very overweight people and getting them lifting weights when they desperately need to get on the treadmill or the bike or yeah. something and yeah. begin to use up some of those calories. So I think that what you have to be careful of is if you go into the gym in January, you don't start out hard. You start out very carefully so you don't come home with shin splints. The reason they leave after two weeks is because their body is hurting, and so they, they're going to wait now and restart, but they never restart. So it's a matter of how you start out. I mean, if you're doing nothing, then you got to start pretty slow. Well, you just brought up a really good point because there's something to be said about the correct pace in a race. That's correct. You know, you see the Boston Marathon, there's always that one or two guys that take off sprinting just to get on the TV for a couple out minutes or whatever. And even in the fitness industry that you alluded to, you know, there are it's a billion dollar industry now to lose 20 pounds in 20 days or <laughs> this you lose weight fast thing. Yeah. And it really is a lie. And, and what I don't understand about these uh, fitness centers and I've I mean I'm a I'm I I'm a member of one, I'm a big fan. But you get a guy in there who, let's say, who's a 65-year guy who's obese, who wants to get in shape. Don't put him on a five-day program. Put him on a one-day program for a month. That's right. And then a two-day program at two months. And then maybe after six months, a three-day program so that he can create a pace that he's going to run and, and last. So so our target audience, bud, our – well, let's do this. Before I get to this next question, let's take a short break and hear from our sponsor. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with a mission to help men become their best version and change their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts, and every man in the arena matters. Our closed Facebook forum for men, appropriately called Men in the Arena, is a great way for you to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Hey, because of my passion to see men get out of the bleachers into the arena, I want to offer a free resource to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email. We'll send you a PDF copy of the field guide. This is my 365-day bathroom book for men. It's a study of manly words in the Bible illustrated with great stories. This is a great resource for all of our arena men. Guys, you're going to love this book. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those in the anonymous bleachers pleading for you to get in the arena today? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So our target audience is a guy 25 to 55 years old. We call him a man in the arena. He's yeah. living that stress bubble of life. He's fully engaged in his career, his marriage, his kids. You know, he's 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 at a you you know this. You remember this these days. He is a, he's going Mach 5 with his hair on fire type of thing. What would you say to that guy about establishing a pace to help him finish strong? Well, I think you have to look at life as a marathon then, not mm -hmm. as a mile race or a middle distance, or certainly not as a sprint. Get started. Yeah. Set some reasonable goals. And it does, if you think about that runner and I just read a fascinating book called The Perfect Mile about the three guys who were chasing the four-minute oh, mile yeah, yeah, back yeah, yeah. in the 50s. Just amazing first-person story out of each of these guys. You, you, you start very carefully, but you also have a pace that fits you and a plan that fits you. Realizing that runners, it's not all just physical. There's a huge amount of mental activity that's involved. I watched this fellow bolt who always appeared to me to be an egomaniac. <laughs> and at the last Olympics, I thought I finally figured it out, that all those antics on the track before, the, before he starts to run is all a part of his routine of relaxing himself and getting himself ready to run. But it's a different situation for every individual. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you've got to get a pace that, that will be slow enough and yet will eventually allow you to speed up. I can remember when I first started the gym, I didn't start out on the kind of rigmarole that I had many years later. 
And even now, my, my, my workout isn't the same as it was 20 years ago. I mean, I just don't have that, that stamina. But it's also important to have the mental part and the spiritual part of running the race. But, but you have to start small with reasonable goals that will work. Yeah, Yogi Berra once said 100% of everything in life is half mental. Oh, it's so, at least. So, yeah. so I mean, I, I, he said that tongue-in-cheek, but I think the mental game is a huge it is. component for a guy. So so uh, what, what do we say to these guys who are planning their retirement? I'm at 53 years old. I have a lot of my peers now who are retiring at 60 or, or thinking about retirement in the, next, mm-hmm. in the next five or six years. What do you say to those guys? <laughs> I guess I'd say read Tim Keller's book. <laughs> no, what what I would say is that you have to make a plan on where you're going to go and what you're going to do. Uh, the reason I, my thought went back to Keller is because he talks about being about finding your vocation and and understanding what you're really on this earth to do. What have you been gifted by God to do? I think I told you before. I think a lot about Bezalel, this guy in the Old Testament who built most of the tabernacle who was gifted by God with certain abilities, and so he was called to do those. So search for the things that are your abilities. Generally speaking, they're the things you like. I mean, you, I don't think God usually would give you a, a goal to go yeah. do something you didn't like. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't follow any kind of a biblical pattern that I can find. But also remember that there is more than mental and physical. There's a spiritual... We're running a race here that God says to run it. Yeah, He doesn't say it's optional. It's something that we are to do. We are put on this earth for a purpose. Keep struggling to find that. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in doors. I believe that, uh, in fact, the book of Revelation talks about the fact that the doors that God opens, no man can close. Yeah. The doors he closes, no man can open. I have spent my life, Jim, banging on doors. Mm. to see if they will open. If they don't, I move on to the next door. On the other hand, I can look back and see doors like this thing with teaching. I never even saw the door, but I walked right through it, not even knowing that it was really there. So the spiritual element of staying in tune with God and being sure that's the purpose. The real running of the race is the purpose to win the prize at the end, Paul says. Well, if that's the case, then the race of life says I need to be pursuing something that honors God and that, uh, that uses the talents and gifts that he's given me. I mean, it's simple to me. It's just not rocket science. So you had talked before to me in, in one of our meetings together about your assignment versus I think it was your calling. Yeah. And you had talked about retirement, and retirement is, is a, it's not biblical to retire and coast through life because your retirement is your assignment but it's not your calling. You want to walk us through that? I haven't. Uh, if you find the word retirement in the Scripture, you give me the reference. Because it's not it's there. It's not there. <laughs> not there. And you look at most of the characters in the Scripture. I mean, here was Moses after 40 years and now 120 years old or something, begging God to let him live and go on over into the promised land. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't ready to quit or to give up on anything. Um, I think what what's important, and it's what I think you're alluding to, is that the scripture tells us that all of us are called. And I think that we misuse that term a lot of times to think about people who are called into the ministry, meaning yeah, the for pastorate, sure. or some kind of a Christian professional, uh, or, the, or the mission field, or something of that sort. I think that's an unfortunate use of the word. What I believe is that the Bible teaches we're all called to something. Then the question becomes, and this goes back a little bit to, to the Blackaby brothers in Canada that kind of started my thinking in this mm-hmm. years ago, is then what's my assignment? If I'm called into ministry, ministry being reaching out to people wherever I am, then what's my assignment? Well, I stumbled into working in the insurance industry, but it turns out that was my assignment. That's where God sent me. There's an interesting story, which we, we won't go into, how I got from Etna over into this tiny little broke company. But again, that was my assignment. I didn't know that at the time, but when I look back, it clearly was. So again, I think all are called, but where we use the word calling wrong, we should be using the word assignment. Because if, what, look what God's assigned you to do. Yeah. I mean, you, you, if, if I recall, you started out in youth ministry, and mm-hmm. God said, no, I got another assignment for you over here. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the way it really works? 
Absolutely. I think that's 100% true. And I think uh, I believe in the priesthood of believers. So I think every every believer is called. Yep. It's just, you know, it's not designated for this elite group over here. And this is what we tell our guys, get in the arena, get yep. in the arena, jump in the arena, you know, sense that, have that sense of calling and then wait for your assignment. Well, and I think we get mixed up a little bit with the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are outlined for us in Romans 4 and Corinthians 4. Um, that we, we look for those because uh, in Ephesians it talks about equipping people for the ministry, mm-hmm. that that's the church's role. And I think we've misinterpreted that to being the ministry being the church. So we think we're equipping people to work in the church. And I wouldn't deny that. We do need to equip people. They need to be well-equipped if they're going to teach others in the church. But what I believe is that we are given gifts. In my case, I was clearly given the gifts of leadership. The traits that I have are the traits of leadership. And that's very clear to me, and it's clear to people around me who have been interacting with me uh, and is sufficiently to know that. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, I believe then, are imposed upon those natural gifts. Because then the Spirit of God comes in now and imposes himself and enables us. It's sort of like what happened in the Old Testament. Look at Gideon. Gideon had the gifts of leadership, and he's a farmer. And God comes along and says, now I want to give you an assignment with those gifts. Mm-hmm. And Gideon, you, you know the story, with the two different times with the with the, the cotton and the dew or whatever in the world was going on with the guy, just trying to believe that God was really yeah, for sure. talking to him. And so then he goes out and he leads this funny little army to this great success. And then a lot of times I think we leave him there, forgetting that he went on to lead that country for 20 years. But it also said that at the time God called him out of there to give him these assignments, he, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Mm-hmm. And we know how the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came on people. Now it indwells us. But I, I firmly believe that those gifts of the Spirit are to enhance the natural gifts that God gives us. And he gives us all different gifts, and, and none of them are more important than others. I believe, and I think Keller would, would, would bear this out, that somebody who's called to be a bus driver is every bit as much assigned that job and given the particular talents and gifts to do that and do that well. Yeah, that's really good. Well, you know, it's, I, I love your take on the spiritual gifts because I think the spiritual gifts <clears throat> are confused in the church. Clearly. You take the spiritual gifts test, you go, now what? You almost, in reality, you could almost not take that test and figure out your spiritual gifts. I had a kid in my youth group. He was a left-handed, left-handed kid. He wanted to learn how to play the guitar. He took a right-handed guitar and was like, I don't, I don't, it, I don't, nobody makes left-handed guitar. So he says, I just flipped it upside down and learned to p- play the right-handed guitar with his left hand upside down. Yeah. Clearly he had a gift. He was talented with a guitar beyond belief, but he had a gift of worship or some gift. Mm-hmm. And so God took that and enhanced it. For me, same thing. You know, voted by the guys on my team, captain of our varsity football team as a sophomore, natural leadership gifts. When I became a believer, then God enhances that through the Holy Spirit. I think it's pretty simple, but we somehow complicate. Well, you'll love this because you're teaching. Uh, Maxwell once said, uh, an educator takes something very simple and complicates it. (laughs) A communicator takes something very complicated and makes it simple. That's right. So we're just trying to simplify it here and say, hey, this is... Well, you you pretty much can tell what your gifts are. So how does this translate over into real life? So now I'm I'm a guy, I'm in the arena, I'm fulfilling my calling based on my current assignment, whatever that is, uh, now I get to a point where my vocational assignment ends, so I do reach this age where I retire from my vocational assignment. <laughs> How do I interact with my vocational assignment being over and a new assignment for the rest of my life or for a period of my life that may be uh, volunteer or maybe a, a look something different? How do I do that? How do I navigate around that? Well, you start by banging on doors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can only tell you from my own experience, I tried to get a job several different times, several different places, and that really didn't happen. And when I look back, I can see why not. Uh, one job in particular was ready to be given to me, and another man who had said he didn't want it came back and said he did, and away he went with the job. I look back now, that was not clearly not a job for me. So I think you have to keep banging on doors. You have to keep looking at what are those talents and gifts that you have, and how can I use them? Uh, maybe if it, maybe if you're a bus driver, 
it's Meals on Wheels or it's uh, uh, volunteering at, a, at an old people's home or nursing home to transfer travel people around. Whatever those gifts and talents, that's what's so critical to understand what your t- different gifts and talents are and allow God to use those. If he brings the Holy Spirit into your life and empowers you with them, he certainly doesn't have any mind you're supposed to quit. But I think that, that what happens is too often we say, well, what do I got to do now? That's why when I ask people that and they say go off and travel, it tells me they have no clue what they're going to do now. And some of that's because they don't understand what their gifts and talents are and the need to continue to use those. So they say they have no, they may have no clue, but where does selfishness play in this retirement mentality, this mindset that says, I'm going to finish my career, get my pension, and I'm just going to take care of me, and I'm just going to move in this realm of um, vacation, golf, perennial life of hammock? What's wrong with the mentality there? Is there a selfishness involved there? Is there something they don't understand about their spiritual life? What would you say to that person? Well, it's probably a combination of all of those things. They certainly don't understand the concept of running the race to the finish to win, and that's a spiritual element. Yeah. How much uh, me too there is of wanting to just say, okay, I'm done now. I'm going to rest on my laurels and live on what I've what I've put together. It's unfortunate that that word retirement really showed up in the 1930s when, when Social Security came in. Yeah. And I watched my father of an earlier generation all but count the days to when he could stop working. He was a man who worked physically and he worked hard and his body was worn out. What he doesn't realize or didn't realize is he had a lot else to give to this world than just his physical body, mm-hmm. but he didn't understand that and didn't know that. And that just keeps bringing me back to you better understand what your gifts and talents are. There's a wonderful uh, book out there called Strength Finders yep, yep. that has a concept and a, a study with it that lets you find your strengths. And it's a pretty proven system. Uh, I took that a couple, three, four years ago, and the five things that stood out for me there clearly are who I am. So you have to do some things. You can't just say, now what do I do, <laughs> and not really find the answer. Well, so you are a world-class leader with Moda. You turned this company around and made this huge success story, and then you go to knock on your next door and it gets closed on you. Do you see uh, society marginalizing men as they age? Is there a point where all of the things that you bring to the table that somebody looks at those things and says, yeah, but your age, no thank you? Have you noticed any of this in our society? I don't know whether society marginalizes people at that age or whether they marginalize themselves. Oh. I think there's a combination going on there uh, where so many people are so glad to be done with the humdrum. Uh, when I walked away from that company, uh, I look back now, and the responsibility was heavy, mm-hmm. much heavier than I realized or thought because I had grown with it. I was in the midst of it. But I can understand why people, particularly if they're not in the right assignment, if they're not doing those last 10 or 15 years what they're supposed to be doing, then there has to be a great sense of relief to be out from under that. Yeah. And yeah, then that becomes sure. very difficult to figure out. And But on the other hand, as you suggested, I think society has to look at a guy like me when I came out of there and say, well, what's he good for? Well, he can serve on some boards, and gee, he worked there. He must have a lot of money. We can tap his money and... You know, there are a lot of things society will do, but they weren't eager to give me a job. So there, there is, a, in a sense, the younger generations marginalizing the older. Is that because of fear? Is that because of uh, seeing value? What do you think? Well, that's a difficult question because I do see that a lot of people, when they get to their mid-60s, they're tired. Yeah, they're tired emotionally, they're tired physically, they're tired mentally. Uh, whether some of that's because that somehow is the finish line, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> runners when they come to that start of that bell lap are probably tired, but they don't think that way because they know they got another notch to go. Uh, I remember in the book uh, that I mentioned about the the perfect race that uh, uh, the fellow who who um, from Britain who was the first to set that was commenting in a race against his opponent that when he entered that last lap, he said, I, I thought I was going to die. 
I just never thought I could finish it. And he was behind. He won the race by 100 yards. So he, he, he thought wrong. And I think part of what you're saying is we think wrong, whether we're younger yeah. to marginalize those people or we're people who hit that age and say, well, I must be done. You know, nobody wants me anymore. Do they or don't they? Well, you don't know if you don't get out there and figure out what you're good at and go bang on some doors and try to do it. Well, I know when I first heard of you through a mutual friend, uh, Dan Critchett, yeah. I said, I need to meet this guy. <laughs> so for me, you know, because I believe in intergenerational ministry, I believe in Second Timothy 2 2. These things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these things entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. I believe in that. And so I believe that also works in reverse to find guys who have done that and ask them to bring you along to that point. So not only are you doing that to me, but I'm actually tapping into you because what I have found is guys who are retired from their vocation do have, the one resource they do have is time. Yeah, They have time, and they've got all the wisdom and all the knowledge. They have everything up here that, that we could ever imagine, and why don't we tap into that? We need to tap into that. Yeah, and do. so I would really encourage, I actually am changing my boots on the ground moment today because I've got a better one. <laughs> but we need to tap in. To, and and I, why I don't I think sometimes we're threatened maybe we're threatened that that uh, uh, an older gentleman an old elder statesman who has more experience who's been to a higher level let's say uh, whether it be the education or income or, or experience will look down or condescend or, or uh, patronize but that's not the case at all because no, there's a double value here I'm adding value to that man because he's able to he sees the respect I'm giving, which is the greatest gift you can give a man. And now I'm getting to tap into the expertise of decades of, of uh, world-class leadership. Jim, I, 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 the last thing I want in my life is to be anybody's role model. That's just mm. not my desire. On the other hand, if I see where I can help somebody to better understand the things that we're talking about, I'm all over that. Yeah. For their sake, not for mine. It doesn't give me... I don't need brownie points yeah. anywhere in my life or life hereafter. I've done the best I can to follow God all of my life. Um, so I, 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 I sort of almost dislike the notion that I'm some kind of a role model, even though I know that's the case, because most people my age just aren't. They're not doing what I believe the Bible teaches us supposed to do. Yeah, well, you, you made a comment earlier, bud. You said they're tired and I, I, I'm 53, and I sense that I'm getting tired compared yeah. to when I was 43. So how do we, you know, I think you and I had a conversation a while back, and we talked about Isaiah 40, 31. How do we renew our strength? You know, you talked about how, do, how does a guy who's tired, who's, who's coming, he's in the middle of the bubble, he's raising a family, he's loving his wife, he's working his job, he's growing in his career, he's working hard. How does that guy renew his strength? What are some tools that you've done in your life to renew your strength to stay strong in the game, in the race? Well, if you want to go back to the pre-65, which is where we're really talking here, um, I think you might have hit on it earlier when you say that you look at what you're doing here with these podcasts to see how you can grow them. Mm-hmm. And the most exciting thing to me all along the way that allowed me to leave at 64, untired, if you will, was every time I looked back and saw the steps of that growth from $4 million to $500 million. Every, every time I would sit and look at a quarterly report or sit with our staff at the end of the year and realize, look at the growth we've had this year. That just excited me. We set goals about how we're going to do more and more and more. How, how could I get tired when I, you know, in the first place, everybody else was doing the work. I yeah. mean, <laughs> let, let's face it, the CEO is supposed to be the dreamer. Everybody else is doing the work. I mean, I can't tell you how many boards I was on where I ended up being the chair. And yeah. I always wanted that because you didn't have to do anything. Yeah, you just get people to do you it for you. just get people doing it for you. <laughs> you. You didn't have to really do any work. So I never understood tired. And yet I do recall that after I left my work, for probably about two weeks, I slept about 12 hours a night. Really? Which was really weird. Now, you have to understand that during that last 25, 30, whatever years, I was to bed about 10 or so and routinely up at 4.30. 
and down to the gym, shower, shave, go to work. So I should have been tired, I guess. But just reflecting on what the people that I employed as a team to work with me, when I saw what they were doing, how could I get tired? I, I don't relate to that, Jim. I, I, I don't have an answer for that. Well, so what I hear you saying is we need to get wins in our life. You look at that spreadsheet and you're like, we're winning. I mean, I know, I know for me right now, there has been a renewal of my strength in the last several months. You know, our first year of the podcast, our goal was 10,000 total downloads in the year. And this month alone, we're going to be well over 5,000 in one month. Yeah. You know, I look at going to an Iron Sharpens Iron conference in Portland, Oregon, and having four people in my seminar. One was my son. And five years later, I'm an Iron Sharpens Iron keynote to 1,000 men in Albany, New York. And so you see these the growth, and it is invigorating, and it does give win. And so guys need to get wins under their belt. That's right. What would you say to a guy right now who's not winning? His marriage is struggling. Uh, his kids seem to not respect him. His job is mundane. Is there anything you could say to that guy to kind of keep him going and to, to, to run that race strong and with a strong, solid pace? Boy, I never have, I've never been there. <laughs> so that's, a, that's an interesting question. But I do think, that, again, it comes back to what our relationship is with God. I mean, it, it, Paul in Colossians 3 tells us that whatever work you're doing, View it as the fact you're working for God. Mm -hmm. So if I come into the arena every day understanding I'm working for God, then for Pete's sake, how can you not give it your best shot every day? Uh, and as far as winning the race enters into that, the guys running those first three laps, they're not thinking about quitting at the end of the third lap. Yeah. You have a rabbit in the race who's going to do that. But they're thinking about coming to that conclusion. What's interesting about the last lap is the different pace that they run. Some of them will run reasonable pace until about the last quarter of that lap, and then they sprint. Others will try to sprint out ahead real quick and hope they can hold them off. Yeah. So there's all kinds of different ways that you do that final thing. But again, I think it's a matter of keeping your eye on the goal. Uh, and the goal is the end of that race, the tape that's hanging out there. Well, you know, you, it's really interesting. Romans, or I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12 says, you know, let, uh, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Right. And then in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, Stephen's dying. He looks up and sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, everywhere in Scripture, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Yeah. Except in that one verse, he's standing. And I thought, okay, so I'm in Witness Stadium. I'm running this race. Jesus is in the press box. I want to run in a way to make him stand. So I'm a man in the arena, but all that matters, according to Colossians 3, what you're saying, is the audience of one. That's yeah. all that matters. It's interesting because when I was in Turkey that time, where that took place was in an arena where a part of the stands had been reconstructed or re, re, uh, under, you know, they, they undercovered them. And particularly the central area where the, uh, where the emperor would sit and watch. And the faith lesson we had out there that day was that the, the runners ran to win, not for their own glory or some medal, but so that they could bring glory to the king, or to the emperor. And the, so they, they would come to that spot in the arena, and they would be bow down and, and give their obedience to the emperor. I won the race for your glory. And we were challenged there with that very uh, scripture that you outlined there, of thinking about the witnesses who were sitting up in those stands in addition to the emperor. And I was reminded of my mom and my dad, of Roxanne who was sitting up there. Mm. And I thought, you know something? I want to make my mom and dad and her proud too of mm. what I do. I'm going to run this race to win so they'll know that what they instilled in me from birth wow. and in another case from age 20 had some value wow. and caused me to run that race for them. Wow, that's you know. It's so fun. it's a that's... it's a question of what's what's the motivation here? Yeah. If the motivation is to make money and to finish at age sixty five, I just say you need to get a life. I mean that's that's just not works <laughs> out. That's just not works. Well, out. you know, I want to I want to go I want to address that part of it. You, you you've been a Christian all your life. You had your your stake in the ground moment at age twenty. Yep. And you had, you've shared this with me numerous times. I want you to share it to these guys. I'm a guy. I'm going to work. Uh, I, it's my business, or I'm, a, I'm an executive at this business, or I'm a high-level employee. 
what what role should faith play in your in your in your business in your in your vocation? Well, I think it plays every role. Uh, one of the things I teach frequently in my teaching is ethics, which gets at your whole element of behavior. Mm-hmm. And I try to help my students to understand that your behavior is built on your moral values, and those values are built built on biblical principles. So every day that I'm in the arena. I'm faced with something that could be very ethically right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I better have my moral values down, which means I better know the scripture. I look back now, I had no clue why I went to seminary that year. And I had 30 years of Bible when I was at at college. Now I clearly understand that because between that and lifetime study of the Bible, I mean, principles out of the Bible jump up at me every time I turn around. So not only are you working for God, but you better understand what he wants. Yeah. I mean, he wants you to be pure and clean. He wants you to be the best worker there is. My dad, and I may have told you this before, was probably, he may be the best theologian I ever knew, but he didn't know the Bible very well. Yeah. But I remember one thing he taught me was, my, my dad had been a professional athlete, and of all things, I had no athletic talent. I was a musician. Yeah. But my dad would come to those concerts or come to my recitals and sit there like I was the eighth wonder of the world. And I saw him mm-hmm. with that attitude sitting out there. And I've thought about that so many times, Jim. How many dads would not have been disappointed in their son because he didn't play football? Mm. The first place I was so puny I'd been killed if I'd gone on the football, <laughs> football field. But my dad taught me, he said, son, I don't care what you do in life. But whatever you do, do it better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Get there a little early, stay a little late, work a little harder. Not too early, not too late, because you don't want to be looking like something you're not. But uh, give it your best shot. And I remember teaching that to my son. My son thought I wanted him to be a businessman. I told him a thousand times I didn't. My son wanted to build houses. I told him, then go build the best houses there are. And he built terrific houses. I lived in three of them that he built, and and they're still standing there today. So I think that's what you have to do. You have to look at who am I and be sure that you're in the place that God has assigned you or you'll be miserable. Yep, that's for sure. And then you're just waiting for that day to get out of there. And I totally understand that. But if you're in the place that God has assigned you and you're given your best shot every day because you want to honor the emperor God, I, I don't see the problem. <laughs> you know, we start every podcast with Men in the Arena, We Salute You, which goes to a movie, Gladiator, where they would say to the em- uh, emperor in the movie, to those who are about to die, for those who are about to die, we salute you. Yeah. And that's what we're doing. We're in the arena. We're running for Jesus. Yep. He is our king. He is our He is our creator. He is the guy we're running for. I want to close with this, but you said uh, your dad told you, whatever you do in life, do it better than anyone else. And I think you summed up our podcast today because you, my friend, are running your life's race better than almost anybody else I've ever met. So I think that translates over to life, right? Live your life and live it better than anyone else. Our goal should be to live our life to the fullest with courageous abandon. And I, I just thank you for doing that. Well, and Jim, I look at I look at so many of my peers, as we said earlier, who aren't running. And I still say to them, get out and start to run. Yes. I mean, you don't have to do great things. You don't have to be an adjunct professor in the university. That's not the issue here at all. Yeah. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It's that I'm doing what I'm assigned to do. And it's never too late to start doing something. Just get out and walk a little bit if you can't run. Well, Philippians 1, 6 says, he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And my thought in that verse is, if I have breath in my lungs and a pulse on my in my heart, then I have an assignment to fulfill from Christ. That's right. So if I am breathing, I have something he wants me to do. That's right. And we need to do that. And we, and we statistically, I, that word, I always struggle with that word. <laughs> statistically, men who retire... And go into the oblivion of golf and hammocks and and uh, vacation. Die earlier. Die. That's right. Because they don't have an assignment. There's nothing. We're men who are driven by purpose. I've been reading this. Uh, I've been reading this lately. I thought it'd be fun to share with you. But I've been reading in the in the Bible and studying this where Adam is made by God in the wilderness. Yeah. And God brings Adam out of the wilderness, puts him in the garden. This is pre-fall Adam. 
yep. and puts him to work, cultivate the land. And I thought, man, that you know, isn't that fun? God knew that a man will venture into the wild, but a man is also designed to do something, to have an assignment. And, and I, I think that's how God has wired us. That's right. So it's just so good. Hey, thank you so much for coming on the show. I sure appreciate you sharing your wisdom and, and your heart. And, uh, man, I'm excited about uh, our guys in the arena getting to hear uh, the podcast today. So thank you, bud. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, don't follow my example. Just create your own example. I appreciate that. So, hey, guys, I've got a boots-on-the-ground moment for you. I had something planned, but I'm going to change it up here. Here's what I want you to do. I, I, I've done this. I've got several guys in my life who I'm actually doing this with currently, and, and, and in the past I've done this as well. I want you to find a guy 10 to 20-plus whatever years older than you who you respect, who maybe has gone ahead of you and done something different than you or done something that you would like to do, that you would like to emulate, uh, and, and I'm not saying a role model here. I'm saying more of a mentor. I want you to approach that guy and just ask him, hey, can we meet regularly and you help me on my journey? You will be blown away at what will happen in your life when you do that. And you'll be blown away that the guys that you think are untouchable are honored because you have reached out to them. So, guys, that is your boots on the ground moment. I want you to find a guy who will mentor you and bring you along in, in something that you're uh, endeavoring, whether that be a career move, whether that be a hobby, some area of your life, guys, you will not regret making that decision. Guys, I'll also post that on our Men in the Arena Facebook forum as we when we post the podcast. And also, if you're not getting our equipping blast, that'll also be posted on that. You can get that equipping blast by going to our website, getting my free bathroom book for men, electronic version, and we will shoot you uh, our electronic blast, our equipping blast every week. Guys, you've been listening to the Man, Men in the Arena podcast. We have some amazing resources to help you on your journey to becoming the best version in Christ. Make sure you download our free Men in the Arena app with our tons of resources that come along to help you in your journey. Join the Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men. And guys, get in the game. Guys, until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Find a mentor. And... This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. In our passion to help all arena men, we're offering an excellent free resource when you visit our homepage at meninthearena.org. Simply give us your email, and we'll send you a free PDF version of Jim's book for men called The Field Guide a bathroom book for men. It's a daily study of manly words in the Bible explained with great stories. Thank you for listening to this episode, the Men in the Arena podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, thank you for joining men in the arena from around the world who are becoming their best version. And remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.